I'm Julian. I grew up in New Jersey, and I went to Alexander Hamilton Elementary School. Named after the musical. That's right. <laughs> no. um, well, it's really a pleasure to have you uh, back again, uh, Julian. Thanks for making pleasure the Pleasure to be here. Um, and Julian really knows, uh, knows our team, our company, and has sort of watched us for, for many years. So it's great having you. But let's start at the beginning again, Julian. So tell us about Alexander Hal Hamilton Elementary in your, up your, uh, your younger years. Well, the best thing I can remember about Alexander Hamilton was there's two things. We had this giant Nabisco factory near our school. And, and remember, Nabisco makes cookies. And so we, all of my friends, we remember getting out on recess, you get outside and you smell this cookies. Because oh, they're just, they're just ma baking cookies. Like it would be the equivalent of being over in Glen Wild. You know? And you couldn't see it because there's a little hill, but you just smelled it all the time. So there was the, the, the smell of cookies all my, it unites all my friends. And then the other thing is that they, had the, that they had that hill, and it was a fantastic sledding hill. And so, not when we were at school, but we'd go to, go to that place and sled down, down that hill and uh, you know, onto the soccer or football field, whatever it was. And it was, it was a good, those are my best memories from, from elementary school. And where was this again? I'm sorry, where? This uh, is at the elementary school uh, what, what in, Gl in, in Glen Rock, New Jersey. New Jersey. Yeah. New Jersey. So you're actually used to snow country then. You grew up. Yeah, we had, we had usually had white Christmases and uh, had some snow and, and uh, my, my mother's from Norway, so I grew up skiing. We would go up to uh, uh, the Catskill Mountains, it was about an hour or two drive and, and I, I learned to, to ski up there and so, you know, skiing was, uh, was a healthy part of growing up and uh, I've, I've always enjoyed that sport and then what, what a thrill to actually be able to come to Park City. That was a... Uh, not something I planned or, or said, I, I'm just going to go there and ski. I just like, when I had the opportunity, I was like, wait, I can really do this? I could live in Park City, Utah? What an amazing opportunity. And that was, gosh, I think it was four, 14 years ago. It's, it's, it's time flies. And, and your household epitomizes the melting pot that is the U.S. You said your mother was from Norway and your father is from? My father's from uh, Rome, Italy. They met in, uh, in New York. And uh, my, my father was a doctor. My mo mom uh, was a ballet dancer, and then she worked for the UN, and that brought her to the to New York. So she was she was uh, uh, part of the the Norwegian contingent at the UN, and she she was there, and, and met my father in, in uh, New York, and, and they had a very uh, idyllic romance in, in Manhattan. So when I watched the the the, the <laughs> romantic comedies from about New York City. I think about my parents. That's so cool. they, they met. They met there. Did you grow up hearing any Italian or Norwegian at home? Oh yeah, of course. Like, so my grandparents would come over. They they didn't speak English. You know, they were full full on Italian or, or Norwegian, and and my parents tried to get get me to, to learn both languages. I, I actually learned Italian reasonably well. So by the time I was in college, I I went into a semester abroad, and I was able to speak Italian well enough to get by. Norwegian, I never quite picked up enough enough, but. Uh, it was kind of neat to, to, to have a family from Europe, and we went there several times, and that's our vacations. We would go to Norway, we'd go to Italy, and, and have relatives there who made great food, and it was, it was that's, wonderful. That's so cool. That's so yeah. Cool. <clears throat> so please tell us about your, uh, your persona, your personality back then. I imagine a really studious young man who uh, you know, always had perfect grades and always <laughs> studied hard. 
but uh, but somehow managed to also be a jock at the same time. Well, you're 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 making me laugh because I think about I'm, I'm thinking about my kids, and and <laughs> I guess everyone holds your kids up to a higher standard, right? And 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 the truth is, um, you know, I I was just a kid, you know, I was I was a kid that was uh, just trying to have fun, trying to trying to fit in, and and uh, you know, I, I had a very good childhood, but I wasn't. Uh, I didn't really get, become a good student until high school, mm-hmm. and I don't know exactly how that happened. But I, but, you know, I wasn't bad. I just kind of was doing whatever else was doing. I think, I think as a kid, you try to do like the bare minimum to kind of just fit in and not stand out and embarrass yourself. At least that's that's what I did. So you know, I, I did what I needed to do, but I wasn't. You know, I, I don't think I was a gifted child. It was like loving schoolwork. My daughter actually is. I mean, my two sons are, I, I call them Neanderthals. They just, they, they just don't care, but I was probably like them. <laughs> so what was, what was high school like? And did it involve a topic? I know you're very passionate about football. It did. It did. And, and, and um, uh, it's come full circle. So football was an important part of my, my growing up. I was, uh, my parents were European and so they weren't really into football. I had an uncle, Uncle Luigi, Napolitano in New Jersey. So I had a very Italian, like, <laughs> we can go into all the stereotypes that I, you know, that's the way I grew up. Okay, awesome. just the big meals and all that. He was a big Giants fan. He would take me to the Giants games and so I became a football fan. And I kind of had this secret life with him where he would show me football and I'd get really excited about it. And my parents were like, no, 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 you, you don't want to play football. You can play soccer or other things. And, uh, it actually, I think it was kind of transformative for me because I, I, was a, I, I was playing soccer, I was on the swim team, and uh, I guess it was my freshman year, I resolved that I wasn't going to play football. Yeah. And uh, I was at a swim team practice or something, coming back, and I remember just, I ran into a friend of mine who was in his football pads, and uh, you know, he, he just wasn't a big guy. And I was like, this is crazy, like, he's playing, I'm much bigger. That, you know, and stronger than that guy, I should, I should play. And so I just went home and I just declared, Mom, I'm, I'm done with this, I'm playing football. And so I started playing football freshman year. And uh, it, it wasn't that football was the, all my life, but it was, it was the element that transported me to just cre- deliver me confidence. Mm. I did very well at it. I, be, I became the captain of the team and I, I ended up becoming a, you know, a, a, a contributor very early as a young, young freshman and a sophomore. And that, that just gave me confidence I didn't find anywhere else. All of a sudden, it's a very obvious measuring stick. Like you either, you win the race, you don't. You win the fight, you don't. You score, you don't. You make the team, you don't. And I managed to, to be successful there. And that gave me confidence in everything else. So I, I remember my sophomore year when I actually, they put me in at varsity and I was terrified. And uh, I survived. And then the next day I was like, hey, I just played a varsity football game. And the, the seniors were like, instead of, like being, instead of me being afraid they're gonna pick on me, I was like one, you know, one of them. And that just transported my uh, confidence level. Yeah. And my grades completely changed based on that. I just had confidence. And that, that allowed me to get better grades. It allowed me to, 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 have, to have confidence. I became you know, a, active in school government. And so I had a very good last few years in college where, or high school where I had good grades. I was the president of the class. And, and I, I attribute most of that to the football, just it gave me confidence. Amazing, and, and I love your comments about the moment you decided to, to make it happen. So it was literally that circumstantial. It was, I, I assumed I wasn't gonna play, and it was just something I ran into a friend, 
And he's like, why aren't you playing? And I was yeah. like, I don't know. I should go home and talk to my parents about this. And I did, and I just, it, I found myself. It was, a, it was a sport, you know, I'm not the fastest guy in the world, but I had a combination of size, strength, and grit that, that allowed me to be successful. And, you know, it's just, it, the point was, it wasn't that it was football. It was like, I found something I could be successful in. That gave me confidence, which gave me confidence in the grades or in school to, like, you know, to go for it, right? Oh, yeah, I'll take the, the AP class. I'll take the this. I'll run for student this or that. And before that, I was kind of just, I was a little shy. I was kind of hanging in the shadows and, you know, just getting by. And this, became, this gave me the confidence to step up and go for it a little bit. And, and that uh, I attribute a lot to it. So, so the reason I'm talking so much about football oh, yeah. is I coach it now. And I thought that was over. And uh, I've had the opportunity to coach my kids here in Park City. I coached the youth league, seventh and eighth. And the same thing with my kids. They wanted to play football. And my wife's like, no, you're not going to play football. And I was like, oh, here we go again. I'm in the same, <laughs> same boat. So I had a conversation. I said, well, you know, let me tell you how it worked out for me. Uh, and, I, and so I'm, my wife was, she was a little mixed, but she, we were both nervous about football. You hear all the stories. And, and uh, so we, we, we decided that if they really wanted to play, they could play in seventh grade, but you know, I had to talk with them. If you want to play, you have to be serious about it. And so I took them in seventh grade and they, they, they uh, started playing. And ironically, I got, I got recognized in the, on, in the sideline and said, hey, will you come over here and hold the bag? And you know, by the, by the th third or fourth practice, I was the head coach of the team. And, and so I've been, I've been coaching for, uh, I coached for three years. I coached my eldest son and then I coached my, my, young, my middle son for two years. And then I just joined the high school program last year. And, and let me tell you, that was, that was a really neat thing. So all the emotions of anxiety and excitement and just like, you know, you're the big game. I mean, it's a really, uh, it's, it's a really special thing. I thought I'd left those in a closet, like tucked away with my yearbook and my varsity jacket. And all of a sudden I'm, I'm on the high school field. I'm like, wow, I'm getting ready for a game. And I got just as nervous. And, and I, I, you know, the, the night before I'm pacing around, I'm up at 6 a.m. checking my plays like 15 times. And I was, had that same anxiety and excitement about about, about fo a football game. And so I've, I've really had a privilege to be able to be part of it. And to be able to be there on the field when my kids are on there has been just an incredible privilege. I, 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 I know that sometimes it's a lot of work because I'm trying to juggle that with work and family. Yeah, yeah. But I'll, I'll, I'll sit there and I'll look at the ski mountain. I'll look at the PC and I'll say, okay, my, son, my son's over there with the lineman. My other son's over here with the receivers and I'm on the field. This is pretty special. And it's, it's been a really fun, fun opportunity. That's so cool. I, I, I see more than the anxiety you talk about. I see the passion. I mean, you're just so passionate about it. It's so wonderful. That's, that's fantastic. So you go through high school and you summit the ecosystem that is high school uh, doing so well and, and gaining that confidence. Does that then translate to what you decide to do for college? What, what, do, you do, what do you do after that? It, it did, actually. Um, I ended up... Uh, applying for college and I ended up going to Amherst College and I ended up playing football there and so that ended up being a reasonable amount uh, part of my collegiate experience and I think it was a big part of what I got in. Um, I had, a, I had a, a history teacher, Alan Diet, who uh, was a real special teacher, was one of my mentors and uh, he, he said you know you should you should look at Amherst College and I didn't really know and you know, now it's kind of a factory about you know how you study about schools and you send letters and do all that. Back then it wasn't so much, but I remember he told me that he went and played football at Amherst College and he wanted to introduce me to the coach and he did. And I think that had a big role in, in helping me get into what was a very um, uh, 
challenging school to get into. And it was a very academically rigorous school. And it was uh, uh, a, a great, great place to go. So that was in Massachusetts. I went to Amherst College and uh, was a political science major. And how did you pick political science? I'm trying to, that's a good question. I, I, I think I just was interested in it. I think at the time I thought I might go into law. And I was interested in just uh, how, how we govern ourselves and how we work as a society. And it seemed like an interesting topic. I was a political science major with an economics minor. And I ended up uh, doing both of those and writing a thesis with the most liberal college professor. And then my, my advisor was the most conservative. And so, uh, in fact, that's how I got into, I, I got, got my first job was I was interested in in this course I was taking with the liberal guy, and so I started doing this. It was actually on, it was on tort liability for drinking and driving. I don't know how I picked that, that topic. <laughs> but it was like, you know, who's, who should be responsible if someone like, you know, drinks and gets into an accident? You know, should you be able to sue the bar? Should you be able to sue the, the, the alcohol manufacturer? So anyway, I was with this, this uh, uh, Professor Austin Serrett, and, and these guys were obviously rivals. And so my, 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 uh, my advisor said, you're doing what? You can't, you can't do, a, do a, the, a paper with him. Well, if you're gonna do it, I'm, I'm in part of this too. And so I ended up having both of those guys being my advisors for this, for this uh, thesis. And, and uh, that was an interesting experience, as you can imagine. I ended up f somehow figuring out how to appease them both, which has been kind of a theme in my life, in terms of how to bring people together or, or find, find middle ground. And I remember when I, when I was interviewing uh, someone was it had previously gone to Amherst knew both those people and they said you did what and and that was somehow got me noticed when I was when I was being recruited for for uh, my first job which was ended up being at Goldman Sachs I always love how looking at incredibly successful driven people like you now when you go back to the roots of their story how maybe the word circumstantial is not is a little too strong but how I suppose it is to some degree circumstance or a moment, just momentary decisions that sort of drive you, whether it's to football or political science because of a temporary affinity at the time or something like that. And then this, uh, this um, uh, senior paper that you're talking about, it's just, it's Yeah, none of it me. was planned. Not, not, yeah, it's, right. it's not like you sat at age four right. and said, I'm going to do this. Yeah, now go, going back to, you know, I, I have ho hope that my boys might find that right click and, and you know, find the right path and, and, and do that, because they're, they're good kids, they, I, I tease them. But they're, they're my, my daughter actually is showing interest and willingness and, and at an early age, but the truth is I, I, I didn't. So you, know, you never know what's gonna be that catalyst that gives you a chance to, to have an opportunity, and then, and then will you seize that opportunity? And I, I got very lucky. So you alluded to your first job, Julian, uh, uh, just a second ago, but again, um, you never thought of yourself back then as this driven person, yet you, know, you, you went to a great college, you played football, and before that you had a great experience in high school, and now you were alluding to your first job. Did you not sense uh, how driven you were? It, it, do you really feel like going to selecting Goldman Sachs as the place you're going to apply is something most people think of doing? I was a little naive, is the truth. I got, I got very lucky. There was a whole group of people, in fact, I just saw them at a wedding. I was at a wedding in Napa Valley with a bunch of Amherst alum. There was a whole group of people who really were plugged in, like my daughter, and they knew that Goldman Sachs was a really impressive place to work. 
and they were all lined up and studying and getting ready for this. And I was more like, I just saw the line. I said, well, maybe I should go and interview there too. And, and, and I ended up interviewing in banking and consulting. Those were very popular uh, jobs, but I, I, I didn't like get a, a, a streak in junior year and say, I'm going to go do that because if I can go do this, I can do that, I can do this. I really just focused on trying to, uh, you know, do the best I could at where I was. And when I when it came time for the the recruiting, there ha happened to be a large crowd there, and I showed up. Said, "What's this all about?" And much to the consternation of some of those people who've been working, and they, you know, again, this is back when we had newspapers. They'd read the Wall Street Journal and they'd talk about stocks, and I couldn't couldn't tell you the first thing about a stock, right? But I showed up, and I I managed to uh, somehow a, a little bit of an imposter syndrome, but I I managed to you know get through the process and, and get a job. But to your point about Goldman Sachs, I didn't know what Goldman Sachs was. I, 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 had, a, I had a couple of offers and I remember like, you know, talking to Prudential Beige uh, as a opportunity. I, I just liked the team. I thought they were pretty good people. I thought it's all the same. It's investment banking. It's New York. Who cares what, and someone grabbed me and said, dude, you got an offer from Goldman, you go there. And I don't know who it was, but someone, someone was good enough to t tell me that. And I, I kind of knew in the back of my mind, but I was being a little bit of a rebel and then finally, Someone kind of told me, you know, that, that, that is like the Harvard of banks. You should go there. And so I was Gold fortunate enough I did. Goldman in New York City before they went public. Yes. Which is amazing. So please describe um, how you made things happen because I think that was some of the most meaningful part of your journey last time we talked about what it was like those, those first years at Goldman and, and how you handled it. Yeah, that was an exciting time. Um, I still read about this stuff today. It, it, it recently came up, there was like this revolt about the analysts working too hard and some of it was at Goldman and, and I recognize all that because that's what it was like. You, you showed up, it was, it was kind of like football. You showed up, they had a class of 120 people and we showed up and we were all wearing our, our best suits and we were nervous and anxious and we were thrown in a room and there was a Harvard Business School professor up front and it was like, bang, you're on right now. You're starting to be taught and, and sink or swim. And it was a very, uh, a very intense competitive environment, but that was a lot of fun. It was really a, a ton of fun. And I was just so excited that I was there, like, you know, I, I, Harvard Business School professor, that's pretty cool, right? I looked around, like, am I in the right room? Like, am I supposed to be here, right? And. Uh, so I was just thrilled to do it. And I was just, you know, terrified that, you know, someone would figure out that I was like, you know, the, the football player guy who's really not supposed to be here. I hadn't studied all the, all the finance classes and all that. But um, it, it, to me, it was just about competition. Um, I enjoyed what I learned at, at investment banking. But for me, it was like, it was like making the, you know, the, the, the all-American team, right? It was like, all right. This is a hard thing to do. You're here with a bunch of smart people from around the world, and you're thrown in a thing and you have to compete. And so uh, for me, it was just a, another, another training camp or the, or the combine. And I was like, okay, this is great, I, I, I get it. I was sizing people up and saying, all right, you know, how do I not get kicked out of this, this group? How do I succeed and do it? And so we worked really hard and, and uh, we learned a lot. We worked, uh, worked really hard, we partied really hard, we lived in Manhattan, we were paid too much. And it was a an incredible two years, it ended up being three years. But I learned so much, I made great friends. Um, the first guy that, uh, one of the first guys I met, um, I remember 
meeting the group from J Japan. So like there was, there was, you know, all these people from all over the world. There were people from London, people from uh, Germany, a group from, from Japan. And I remember, you know, meeting this guy from Japan. And uh, I, was, I was just recently, uh, you know, I, I, was, I was the best, one of the best men in his wedding. And uh, recently his son came and visited me here in Park City. You know, because he, he lives in Tokyo. And his son was at Dartmouth, and his, his son was like you know, coming skiing and came and visited me. And so I made friends that I still have today, lifelong. some lifelong friends in that group. That's really cool. <clears throat> Do you think, what was it about Goldman that made, that made it that kind of culture? It was, uh, I, I think that there was a lot of different cultures on Wall Street at the time. They, you know, it, it's a program that exists today. I've, my nephew wants to be a banker, and I've actually... Um, set him up with some of the people I've, I've, I've set you up with so he can interview these people or they can interview him and, and talk to him about it's a it's a competitive job it's a it's a it's a kind of a cutthroat job but you get a chance to learn very very rapidly and you're put in positions where you know most people don't get that exposure you know uh, one year and, and so uh, Goldman was one of the better ones and it was a very good collaborative you know positive culture place there were other ones that you can, you know, there's books about that, you know, that were a little bit more cutthroat and, and a little more competitive. People were competitive with each other. And so I was aware of that. Um, but in general, it was, just, it was just a situation where at a very young age, you're going to be in the room with CEOs and board members and, and, and CFOs who are talking about, you know, the most important decision in the company's lifetime, right? So you're in the room and the president or CEO of Dole Foods is talking about selling the company and you know the partners are talking to him about that and I'm just like I'm in this room this is pretty cool and so it was just kind of a high bar which is where you know you you, you felt very privileged to be there and and you know the 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 hours didn't matter right it was kind of like being in the military or something it's just like hey you get to be in that meeting <clears throat> you know that's something most people never get to experience what a great opportunity you better work really hard you better not screw up are you a believer that that was uh, a cultural norm in Manhattan back then? I won't uh, to name the decade, even though I know which one it is. <laughs> or does that and can that exist today? That's an interesting question. It wasn't unique to Goldman Sachs. It was, you know, I've got friends who are at different banks, and it was, it's the same thing. It, it, it's, a, it's a boot camp, let's face it. It's a boot camp where they get young college kids, and they run them through this program. And they get 80 hours a week for, from you, and, and you know, for them it's fairly cheap. For us, it's like, well, this is a lot of money, and I get to sit in this room. So it's kind of a win-win. You got to know what you're getting into. Right. Um, I don't know. When I read the articles today, and people are protesting, and, and, and they're, 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 they're complaining and saying that this is inhumane or whatever it might be, I don't know if it's changed. I can't imagine it's harder, right? Um, we were just so thrilled to be there, right? And so no one was complaining and saying that, you know, we should be getting working less or, or that is because it's it very clear if you want to work less you, there's a lot of other jobs to go to mm -hmm. but you're trying to keep your seat at this table and so you're gonna you know that's really all you did you, you worked and you you slept mm -hmm. and, and you, you went to the bars when you had a few moments <laughs> and there was no football in there so had football disappeared for a few years for you it disappeared and you know it, it, not until three th four years ago had it, had it reappeared you know I, I, I did go through some withdrawal because after eight years, I remember in the fall, I'd kind of get itchy and I'd be like, I should be on the field, what's going on? But uh, no, the, you know, 
football took a, a long hiatus until here at Park City where I'm coaching. So I, I don't uh, want to interrogate you about the rest of your very impressive uh, career, but I'd love for you to highlight that a little bit, and then I'd love to turn it over to the team to, uh, to get your take on things. So um, I do know that at one point you decided to go back to school, so maybe you could talk to us just a little bit about the, the, the journey beyond Goldman. Yes. <clears throat> In retrospect, that may not have been the best decision, but, <laughs> but uh, oh, to, to you because I, 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 I was at Goldman Sachs, and again, to, to the naivete, I was like, this is a two-year job. They offered me to stay for three, three, so I stayed for three, and then I remember there was a discussion, like, you could just stay here, and I was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know if I want to be a banker my, my life. I mean, it seemed like a lot of work. I knew, I knew the trade-off. I seemed like the, the, the senior bankers, a lot of them were getting divorced, and it didn't seem like... You know, it, it wasn't what I wanted to do, but now in retrospect, what, being, you know, being a direct promote at a pre-IPO, Goldman would have been a good situation. But uh, um, Really? Yeah. <laughs> I've got plenty of, I, I've got a handful of friends who did stayed or were there, like my first associate, and yeah, I mean, I'm aware that that was, I left some money on the table for that. Yeah. But for me, it was about like, okay, I've had this experience. I, I proved that I could show up, I could, I could succeed. So for me, it was all about, like, can you make the team? And can you be a starter? It was the same mentality, right? And I, I had done that. And so now I was like, well, you know, I want to, well, there was a moment, there was a moment when I was carrying the bag, which is what the analyst does, right? You do all the work, you do all the spreadsheets, you, you create the presentation, and you show up, and you carry the bag. And, and then, like, back then, the road shows, like, you'd be in this giant auditorium with hundreds of people, and they'd go up, and they'd give a speech, and that was really, they were telling you about the company, so you can invest in it. I, now a lot of that happens digitally, but that was effectively a real road show. I remember carrying the bag and, and just the senior partner on my team got in, got up and introduced, said, okay, we're gonna take this company public. You know, the, the timeline is this, we're gonna come in and probably at 13 to $15, and if you wanna buy shares. And I was like, that's so trivial. Like I, like I, I could give a shit about, you know, the, the price per share, right? But then the other guy got up, and this is back during the Gulf War, and he's like, well, you know, we had to ship our parts, you know, across to Europe and in the Middle East, and we had to use the, you know, because of the war, we had to use this kind of, of shipping. And he was talking about running a business with thousands of people and getting his product shipped around the world during a war. And I was like, okay, that looks like a really interesting job. I don't want to be the guy who's just selling stock. Right at the end of the day, which is what it is. You know, I mean, the reason people make, Goldman Sachs makes money is they're in front of a bunch of money, right? And you can be an expert at that, and you can learn a lot. But I remember thinking, okay, I don't want to be the first speaker. I want to be the second speaker. You want to be the guy running it. You yeah. Want to be the guy doing the. Company. So for me, I, I kind of made that realization, mm -hmm. and so for you know, I, I figured that you know I wanted to, to go learn how to run companies, not how to finance them, only. So I wanted to go to business school, and there was a nice pipeline from the banks to the business schools, and, and, and I applied to uh, you know, several of the best and, and was fortunate enough to get into to Harvard. And so that was a, a just incredible, again, just an incredible uh, situation. Like, you know, you get into Harvard, you go, right? And I remember, uh, I would remember I was waiting for the Stanford to see if I got into Stanford, and like my, my uncle Luigi called and said, I understand you're going to Harvard. I'm like, I guess I am. <laughs> <laughs> um, and so I did, and that was an awesome experience, and, and uh, made some great friends. Had you know, actually enjoyed my business school school experience more than my college experience. Wow! I I just loved it. It was um, 
don't know, something about the connectivity and, and the, the intensity, and I just had, I, I just related with, with the group so well, I made, I made some of the best friends in my life that are, are much, much closer to now than my college friends. So I, I love that. And then, you know, just to fast forward a little bit, I kind of doubled down on that, saying, okay, if I've done the finance thing, how do I prepare myself to be able to be a leader of a company? And I researched the various roles, and I figured that management consulting was kind of like banking in that it's a competitive, very intense, high-level um, exposure type of role. But instead of financing companies, you're helping them with marketing strategies or, or operation strategies or M&A strategies or whatever it might be. So I decided I wanted to be a consultant and, and end up going to uh, McKinsey's as a consultant to try to balance the financing of companies and then the strategy of companies. And so I was very lucky to have those two experiences. Uh, you know, they, they, between that and business school, I felt like I was really well prepared to, to kind of just set off on, on, on the, the journey in, in business. It's amazing. And again, it's, a, it's for those of us who know you well, it's funny how you put it so nonchalantly. You know, I, so I ended up going here and after doing this. These are the biggest names in the most competitive fields and the hardest things to do. Yet you, I don't think you appreciate how much you, um, you describe, not just the intensity, but in every case you say, but I loved it. I <laughs> loved competing and working hard and winning and growing. And I, I hope you see that in yeah. yourself. But, but Maybe well, you don't. <laughs> well, you know, you, I, I, you and I have had conversations before, and you're kind enough to, ha you know, to, to dig into it. I don't talk about this a lot. But it's through conversations like this, when you ask me what was it about, it was really about the competing, right? Because until you select an industry, these were generic jobs where, where you know, you're, you're a service provider at a very competitive place. So it really kind of was like just a competition. There's 120 people in the room. 20 of them are going to get kick, kicked out, and 20 of them are going to get promoted. And the other 80, or 80 or, you know, are going to be, you know, in, in the norm. And so it was very much of a competitive dynamic where you had to, it, it was understood, you know, th these places are all pyramids, right? And you start at this level with the most people coming in and it's competitive to get in. So it was very much, that was the dynamic. And that was very consistent with where I was at that stage of my life. So we, I guess it was just consistent with what I was trying to do. Find the most competitive competition try to get in and then try not to get kicked out. And so that was, that was the, uh, the mode I was in versus a very, you know, I'm gonna go do this and I'm gonna go do this and do that. Other than when I saw the, the, the CEO give him the speech, that was the first time where I said, okay, maybe that's what I wanna do. Before that, I was really just trying to see if I can make it. I really appreciate that, Julian. I'd love to give the team an opportunity to ask some questions and I'm hopeful that the questions may give you an opportunity to at least touch on your vacation roost chapter, which I know is a really important chapter for you. Sure. And, uh, and even more recently than that. But with that, let me turn it to the team. Kimber. So I have a comment and a question. One comment that kind of stood out. So the comment first, which is, you know, because I mean, you've made the observation that you just kind of fell into these things, but you were actually passionate about it. And I was listening to a podcast the other day, and it was talking about grit and how people think, oh, I just need to have more grit in things. But it may actually be that the people that have grit and, and put in the time to be successful, they've just found the thing that they're passionate about. And so, you know, just kind of putting that out there, if you're trying to be successful at something but you don't like it, you know, people want to be fit, but if you don't like working out, you're not going to put in the time. But then you have people that love working out and they're very fit, but it's something that they like. So 
Anyway, just I making like an that. observation that you kind of found the things that you liked and that challenged you, and therefore you were able to put in the energy and the time. So, kind of an observation. Thank you. Um, that's a great point. I think that is that's very true. You, it, it, uh, it's not so much a priori, I'm going to grit this out and struggle through it. It was like, hey, I, I, I get to be here. I get to be here, right? How do I not get kicked out of the room? What do you think for you, you know, were successful in football in high school, how did you kind of break through that? And well, that be your I, I think that the, 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 the easiest answer is I wasn't like naturally pretty. I, <laughs> 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 uh, you know, I, I, I was blessed with some relative size, but I had to work really hard to, and, and I, I never, um, while well, I achieved a lot, I guess my attitude was like, you know, I was, I was ready to be cut at any moment. Mm. I was like so grateful that I was there, uh, you know, wh wh whatever the situation was, whether it was, you know, making the varsity team in high school or, or then in, in college. Like, oh, wow, gosh, I mean, I remember the first day, like, the, I walk in the room, it's just like Goldman Sachs. Like the, I remember huge, huge guys with beards and like, you know, just they looked like, you know, Tarzan. And I'm like, am I in the right place? Like, I, I, I don't belong here. So I never felt like. I never felt like I was the star. I felt like, okay, shit, I'm gonna get beat up, and I better work my ass off just to just to succeed and and not get kicked off. And maybe they'll figure it out. Maybe you know, no one will figure out that I'm I'm really not. I don't look like that, <laughs> you know. When I, and I, I remember the first day. I remember my parents dropping me off, and I, the look in my mom, mom's face. She's like, she, she she was scared, and I was scared, you know. Um, so, to some extent, I know what you're talking about. Um, and the success I had in football was, um, you know, it, it, some of it can go to your head, but at the end of the day, I was very quickly on to the next thing, and, and the next level was like, okay, can you play in college? You're going to get, get, it's going to end here. You're going to get found out that you really aren't good enough to play in college, or you're going to end here. You're not smart enough to, to compete at, at, at you know, Goldman Sachs or with, with a Harvard Business School professor. Like, it was always like, oh, my God, i got to really work hard to, 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 to compete at this level. Thank you. Thanks, great question. Alan. Um, you know, as you were talking through your life, you, you seem like a, a, a guy that's like living in the moment at all times, like living and doing. Um, and, you know, that, that was, I think that was pretty impressive as, you know, going through your life and, and every moment counts. Let's see. That's a, that's a great question. So, yeah, I'm still on the journey. So I, I, I honestly don't know. Um, there were milestones. I remember the, the you know the first time where I kind of became a CEO. I remember thinking this was it, right? And that's when I moved to Park City. I remember thinking, okay, I'm a CEO, and I finally made it. And then I realized that you know it was just another competition. <laughs> it was you know, it wasn't it wasn't it. And and, and I never have got to be the the star quarterback who just sits back and says, "Okay, look at me, I'm great." Mm -hmm. Like it's always been, it's always been a, 
I don't want to use the word struggle because it's been I've been incredibly blessed. But it, like when I became a CEO, I was in the fire. I, it turned out the economics of our company weren't as good as we hoped, and we went into a recession in 20. Uh, I don't know when it was 27, 28, 2008. When when you know, I was CEO for for six months when Lehman fails failed. So it, it became an immediate crisis. So there was no time to, to actually sit there and say, all right. I mean, I, I know that I was excited because I'd been working at, you know, I was on the corporate ladder. I became a CFO of this company and I was doing that. And I was like, when do I become the CEO? And that was my target. And I became a CEO and, and uh, I realized it was, it, was, it was just a burden of responsibility. Now I had, you know, 100 people responsible, I was responsible for and Lehman fails. And, and you know, the, the board saying, should we shut this thing down? And so I never really got the chance to kind of sit there and say, "Wow, oh, this is great, right? It was, it was, it was a, a, in that case, it was a struggle with, with Vacation Roost. Um, it was, it was a t company that we, we bought and we were competing. So there's a little background. I moved to Utah um, to, to start a company called Vacation Roost. And we acquired a couple companies in the ski business. And we basically were trying to build what's today Airbnb or, or VRBO. And that was the idea. It was very clear that um, people weren't going to rent homes using catalogs in the future, which is kind of how I grew up doing that. And so I was really passionate about it. I said, this is what I love doing more than anything else is, is renting homes. I want to be part of creating this category. And so I, I went after it. And, and the achievement was actually getting it together. I ended up having to go buy a company and find financing and, and pulling it all together. That really was the work. Of, of putting all those pieces together. Once I got it together, and then I actually got to move to Park City, which was a bonus on top. So I thought, man, this is it. You're gonna actually get to work in an industry you love in, a, in Park City, Utah, and you're yet to be a CEO. I, I thought that was gonna be awesome. And I remember, there, there, I'm sure there was a month or so, I think I had a wine bottle when you know, we, we closed the deal where I was like, okay, that, that's it. And then, like I said, like I, we were at a board meeting when Lehman failed, and, and we, we'd just been in it six months, and, and uh, it ended up being a really, really difficult business. That we, we, we had some success. We were able to do a lot of things. We, we were able to double or triple the business, but just like you guys have metrics, you know, Bassam and I were talking about it this morning, about metrics, and if you want to hit the next level, you, you, you guys are already a great company. You always, are already doing great things, but you, you're looking forward, right? You're not talking about, you know, you, wanna, you don't want to repeat this year, next year, do you? Right? You, you know, when you talk about what you're going to do next year, you're talking about how you can stretch and get to the next level. It was the same thing there. Uh, because we're both privately funded companies, right? We had a private equity company uh, firm funding us. You guys are self-funded. Maybe you, you guys will look at venture capital. But once you have that, you're on this treadmill of you have to get to this level. And for us, you know, it ended up being a, a nine-year journey where we were trying to get that level. And we got really close, but we never quite got to that point. We, weren't, we never... We never got to be the Airbnb or, or the VRBO. We were, we were part of that ecosystem and we contributed to it. We were part of that ride. So, um, but it would end up being a, a story that, you know, we weren't the success. And it tur turns out in, the, in that game, there were, you know, two or three really good successes out of the hundred that showed up to try. And we were one of those hundred. And so it was a, it was a wonderful experience, but it wasn't, the, it, it wasn't what I kind of had built it up to be in my mind. If that makes sense, Mike. So, being at uh, HBS and McKinsey, these really competitive places where people go from there to do extraordinary things, did 
did you ever, as you were going through the struggles with vacation rooms, fall into comparing yourself with the with those peers, and did that make the experience even harder? <laughs> You're 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 pushing the scab right there, man. <laughs> uh, I, like what? Just like yesterday? <laughs> uh, absolutely. You know, absolutely. Um, you know, at, at the end of the day, everyone goes on their their their, their unique journey, and I made some choices. And uh, yeah, I mean, I I, I have. It, it, it's a humbling thing to go to reunions. And, 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 you know, you're talking to captains of industry. And, uh, you know, I've, I've accomplished plenty of things, but, but uh, there's definitely some, uh, uh, you know, some envy or, or some, some uh, frustration because uh, there's, there, you know, there are different paths. Like I said, I could have stayed at Goldman Sachs and, and been there when they went public. And, and that, that right there would have been a huge opportunity. Um, on the flip side, I don't think I'd be coaching football in Park City, Utah. I don't think I'd be have, you know, raising the family I am right here in Utah, and I don't think I'll be having the opportunities that I, I'm, I'm creating now. So you, you never know how it's going to end, but you know, there, there are dark days where, you, where I have those, those thoughts, certainly. Thank you. Sean? I was curious uh, what you think VRBO and Airbnb did that vacation Great question. So VRBO, um, they won by being the biggest and the fastest. So uh, Brian Sharples, who was the CEO of HomeAway, who I actually now work with, ironically, at, at Next Coast Ventures. Um, so it's come full circle. Um, you know, when, when we set out at the same time trying to do this, and I was actually at Prime Media at the time, we both recognized that this was an opportunity. And I tried to get Prime Media to go and say, we're going to acquire all these different little websites and create the biggest consolidated, with the most inventory, the biggest marketplace. Um, he executed that strategy with the right capital. And uh, I remember, you know, it's actually an interesting little story. When I was at Prime Media, I was trying to buy the company called VacationRentals.com. And on the other side of the curtain, he was there trying to do the same thing. So we were trying to buy the same company. There were, there were a bunch of chess pieces out there on the, on the table. And uh, I had a, an LOI to buy them for $44 million. And I thought, this is going to be great. We're going to own vacationrentals.com, and we're going to be the leader. And uh, they, they, uh, he, he, he trumped my deal, bought them for like $100 million, and uh, ended up buying VRBO and... 14 other companies, and he ended up raising several billion dollars. I ended up raising $20 million. Um, and so, you know, that was just firepower. Uh, you know, it was, it was a winner-take-all type of thing, and, and, and he, he was able to get the first pieces, then raise money, then and buy more companies, but raise money, buy more companies. And so he was kind of always out there in the leadership position. And I'd say it's the brute force way to win, and so he succeeded. Airbnb is a total different animal. Right, because Airbnb didn't, they raised a lot of money eventually, but they came at it through the innovation. Anyone read The Innovator's Dilemma? So they did The Innovator's Dilemma. Whereas I was kind of the corporate M&A, like Brian, uh, thinking we're going to go acquire a company and build it up and we'll just become the biggest and the best. Airbnb totally innovated, and I think it's why they're the better company right now. 
So they ended up going at the industry by saying, well, we're going to go <clears throat> and we're going to do this all through technology. We're not going to buy anything. We're going to just build a platform and the, the technology is going to be first and foremost. And as someone was in that industry, just the, the labor it required to get the pictures and get the descriptions and get them on all the different websites, you know, this was as things were becoming uh, digitized, it was an albatross behind, you know, my neck, Brian's neck, Expedia's neck. Like, I, I knew all the people competing, and it was brutal, brutally hard to do it. Airbnb did several things right. They said, well, first of all, we're going to, we're going to start where no one's looking. Remember, if you remember, I don't know if you do, but like Airbnb started by selling couches, right? And I remember like my board calling me up and said, hey, what do you think about Airbnb? I'm like, that couch surfing company? I don't, I'm not, I don't think anything about them. That was like, the stupidest thing I've ever said in my career. <laughs> um, I, 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 I was competing with, with uh, VRBO and, and, and Expedia. And they said, well, we're going to just do these couches. And, and by doing the couches, they were able to, to focus just like on the rebar, you know, in that innovator's dilemma situation. No one really paid attention to them. They had to innovate because it was such so cheap. They had to make it all technology driven so that the people who had those couches would do the work. They would take the photos. They would load the photos. They would polish the descriptions. They would do all that work. I had dozens and dozens of people doing that. They would, do, they would have to make it self-service, so they, the people had to do it. And then the second thing is because it was a couch and no one knew what the hell it was, you weren't competing with Expedia. So no one cared what the price was. And so they did a very clever pricing where they said, okay, for the couch, it's only going to charge you, we're only going to charge you 5%. Whereas Expedia and VRBO and <clears throat> us, we were charging the, the supplier 20%. So it looked like they were so much cheaper, so the inventory just naturally went to them. They were charging 18%, but they were just charging the consumer the other piece. But because it was a couch, no one knew what the hell a couch should cost. Whereas if you could find the four-bedroom condo, and you could find it on multiple sites, you're going you're to price shop, so you had to be at price parity. So end up this whole side of the industry ended up being very strict around you know, we're all going to sell this for $1,000, and then the different distribution channels, this one charges 20 this one charges 18 15 It was very competitive. We were fighting with each other, just like a, a red ocean, right? These guys had a blue ocean where no one cares. It's a couch, and I'm going to still get 18%, and I've got to do any of the work. So the innovation that they had was a fundamentally advantaged model because the inventory came to them naturally because they had a pricing advantage. They didn't have to do the work, so they could just focus on, on enabling the platform and that became you know, what it is today. So that, that, that model, there, there were two winners in the space. One was brute force and one was innovation. So that's a great question, I, and I think I'm coming back in a week to talk about that exact topic. But you know, the, the short answer, the short answer is, you know, you that's when you grow. Like when you when you lift weights, you know, you, you you don't get stronger by being on the stage posing, right? It's when you break your muscles down and you fall down, we get stronger. And so I've had to learn that lesson later in my career, because I had so much success early in my career, I thought, well, I just I keep running through walls, this is going to be great. And then you, you know, and then I, you, later in your career, you, 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 you hit something that's a roadblock. You know, it's, it's, it's emotionally challenging. Um, 
and what I am focused on is, you know, what can I learn from those, those challenges and how can I apply them for the next, the next race or the next competition? And more importantly, how can I share them? Which is why I love the opportunity. Like I said, I think it's next Friday or something, I come back, I actually am gonna share a presentation with you guys about exactly that, the failure, and you know, what I've learned, learned from it. Yeah, it's a great teaser. It's a great question. Yeah, I, I, it's, I'm, I'm excited about it. You learn, you learn a lot more about. You learn a, the answer is you learn so much more from failure. Yeah. It's actually apropos to end with a teaser, just like all <laughs> modern movies do right. nowadays. That's right. Yep. So, Julian, thank you so much for making the time. Thank you for having me. I enjoy, always enjoy talking with you guys. Thank you so much. Have a wonderful day. Thanks, guys. Thank you.